Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy. Thanks so much for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hammerich. I am an agribusiness recruiter, and it is my joy to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if podcasts are your thing or vlogs or blogs soon to come, head over there to farmruralag.com to check out some other people who are much better at doing this than I am. I wanted to approach this issue today, and we need to tread a little bit lightly because these are super emotionally charged words, words like GMO and genetic engineering and organic agriculture. I'm guessing you had uh, some sort of reaction to one of those three terms there, but I wanted to pose the question, could they all in some circumstance or circumstances actually be on the same team? One of the main goals of organic agriculture, and some would say the main goal of organic agriculture, is to reduce inputs, reduce external inputs that are necessary to grow our food, fiber, natural resources, etc. Also, uh, one of the main goals of several genetic engineering techniques are to reduce inputs, to either uh, reduce or eliminate some of the uh, chemicals that need to be applied to our crops in order to produce uh, what we need to survive. So if one of the main goals uh, on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, is to reduce inputs, why can't they be on the same team? Why must they be at odds? So uh, I think this is a really interesting question to pose, and I encourage you to approach this question with an open mind. Yes, I know there are some technicalities. Not The only goal of organic is not just to reduce inputs, and the only goal of GMO is not just to reduce inputs, but maybe there's some overlap, and do we really need to be uh, polar opposite sides of the aisle in all cases? So I think this is a really interesting topic, and, and I think it's an even more interesting guest. I have on the show today Rob Syke. Rob is uh, the founder of Agritrend up in Canada, uh, which is a company that does a, a variety of different things, but mainly kind of helps farmers grow food. So they do all sorts of uh, different types of consulting, including agronomic production, uh, even carbon offset trading, consultation on grain marketing strategies and data management systems um, for, for farmers and producers uh, all, over, all over North America. And actually, Rob's work with farmers all over the world. In addition to that, he has a very fascinating TED Talk that I actually wrote a link post recently um, listing my top 10 favorite agricultural TED Talks, and he was definitely on there. And he's become an advocate for the consumer adoption of agricultural technology, including genetic engineering and others. Uh, him and his son have been working on No GMO, a movie, as well as Learn GMO, a uh, webisode series. So I encourage you to check that out. The, the, the entity is called No Ideas Media. That's K-N-O-W, not, not No Ideas, like there are none. Really enjoyed this interview. I think you will too. Rob starts off talking about Agritrend and how he got into all this. Enjoy this interview with Rob Syke. Agritrend was founded in 97 with the mission of pulling together um, people that wanted to build the most credible, independent uh, consulting network for agriculture on the planet. And our mission was to help farmers allocate scarce resources. Uh, so we help farmers allocate scarce resources to produce a safe, reliable, and profitable food supply 
in an environmentally sustainable manner. So Agriturn was born uh, not to sell crop inputs. So we don't sell uh, fertilizer, chemical, or seed. We don't buy grain. We don't sell equipment. We are uh, you know, 100% uh, unbiased and agnostic and uh, began growing that and uh, grew that to you know, 225 people across North America, a little bit of international work and uh, a data system and a carbon credit trading company. And in 2016, call it uh, beginning of 2016, uh, we uh, became part of the Trimble organization. And uh, I felt that was the best way to continue to grow the data company and, and foster uh, an opportunity for AgriTrend. So that's where I am right now. Great. And one thing I find fascinating, Rob, is, you know, you, you built this successful company that is, as you said, kind of completely agnostic. You don't really have a dog in the hunt as far as which technologies mm-hmm. farmers use. You just are there to help the farmers do, you know, uh, to be the best that they can be or most successful that they can be. And, and you have really uh, kind of become a spokesperson for embracing new ag technology, specifically GMOs. So um, maybe... Help us understand, without kind of a dog in the hunt there, why has this become such an important issue for you? (laughs) Well, it actually began at a rock concert in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada. I was invited to go to a Chilliwack concert, and uh, really a strange story, but uh, there were about 650 people in an auditorium, and uh, about a third of the way through the concert, the lead singer stops the concert, said the next song is about the poisoning of the earth, it's about the patenting of life, it's about an organic farmer trying to go organic canola. And of course, Monsanto sued him and Monsanto won. And I just lost it. And I shouted out of the darkness, you're wrong. And I stopped the rock concert. And the guy said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I know the facts of this case and what you're telling the audience is wrong. He said, I have a mic. I said, doesn't mean you're right. We got into it there. And I left the concert. Uh, people applauded, of course, because I left. Uh, next morning, I wrote a letter to the editor saying there was a, a commotion at the Chilliwack concert, I know because I caused it, and it was because this guy was basically lying about genetic engineering and agriculture, and uh, <laughs> that began what I do today, and I, I just got so viscerally upset with the lies and the distortions that were being shared uh, with people and still are being shared today that uh, I began to shout out of the darkness. So being somebody who's independent, I don't work for government or university, I, I don't work for uh, Monsanto or any of the big companies. I, I, I don't sell fertilizer, chemical, or seed, but I use all the technologies when I'm working with my farmers, which include organic farmers, by the way. Uh, and uh, we, uh, so I just began to speak out. And uh, that, that really led itself to the TEDx talk. Um, and that talk was, will agriculture be allowed to feed 9 billion people? And that talk's been seen like 100 and, I don't know, 135,000 times. So it's a start, right? That's that's how it began, Tim. And, and tell us more about what you mean by that question. Will agriculture be allowed to feed 9 billion people? Well, the concern I have is we live, and I mean North Americans, live in a privileged, elitist, entitled world. We expect to have food every day on our shelves at the grocery store. Not only do we expect to have food, but we just expect to have the kind of food that our philosophy uh, entitles us, or we feel entitled to be able to buy. I've done a lot of work in Kenya, Uganda, Nigeria. I've traveled uh, big, big parts of the planet. Um, I have a farm in Uganda, which is um, I'm north of Kampala to Gulu, and then go west towards Congo. We have 
5,300 acres in Uganda. And we can't grow corn anymore in Uganda, simply cannot, because the corn borer attacks our corn. Even after spraying insecticides, we cannot grow corn. So those people in that region that were depending on our corn crop to feed them don't have corn. We just simply uh, cannot fight it because we're not allowed to have uh, genetically engineered crops in Uganda because uh, the uh, Europeans have, have uh, scared uh, the, um, many of the African governments so much that they have capitulated. And, and so it's difficult for us to access the technology that we take for granted in North America. So in, 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 um, in North America, we, we have all of this, uh, we have a lot of food fads and food uh, beliefs that circulate around. And uh, it has become the new religion, along with environmentalism. The new one of the pieces of uh, new religion is, is I, you know, it used to be I'm a Catholic or I'm a Protestant or a Baptist or I'm a Muslim or I'm Jewish, whatever it is. Today, it all circulates around the, uh, the issue of, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a paleo, I'm, a, I'm an organic, I'm a, you know, whatever it is. And so uh, you, you find uh, that uh, sentiment, those thoughts uh, are the, are the, are the loud thoughts right now on social media and the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Along those lines, one of the things in your Ted talk that really stuck out to me was, was this question of when did the organic movement also become non GMO? And, and I think it speaks to that the religions that you're saying where, Hey, if you believe organic, you have to be opposed to X, Y, and Z, including GMOs. Uh, did you find a good answer to that question? Like when did that happen and why did that happen? And, and maybe could you just elaborate more on why the two shouldn't be at odds? We're, we're still researching that. Uh, we've got a project that you, you stumbled upon. It's called No Ideas Media, and it's uh, pragmatic discussions around divisive topics. And if you go to No Ideas Media on YouTube or Facebook, you'll see um, us digging into this thing. We, we, we have uh, found what, what I think is the pivotal point on TV where Roger Beachy was challenged on TV back in 1995 or 94 even, uh, by um, um, by an environmental group on on the thought process. He was excited about bringing out a flavor saver tomato, didn't think anybody would be against it, and lo and behold, on TV, he was basically blindsided by this group that uh, said, no, we don't want it, it's, it's frankenfood, whatever, and he was just aghast. Um, with respect to when the, when the uh, organic movement became the anti-GMO movement, I'm not exactly sure. It had something to do with the drafting of the organic regulations in Canada. And before people just get really upset at what I'm saying here, I, I have some things that the audience needs to consider, or at least I hope will consider. And that is, um, I'm not in the business of selling more fertilizer chemical uh, to, to grow a crop. Uh, in fact, um, I don't know a farmer out there that wants to use more fertilizer and chemical to grow a crop. In fact, all farmers out there uh, would want to use less fertilizer and chemical to grow a crop, which means that all farmers would actually want to farm more organically. That is, they would want to move away from the utilization of pesticides and fertilizers to grow crops. The only science that I see, Tim, that's on the horizon right now that would allow us to grow crops more organically is genetic engineering. So, Again, the question I posed is when or why did the organic movement become the anti-GMO movement? Why did the organic movement 
throw their, uh, say that uh, uh, genetic engineering is against organic production. Because if you look at all the sciences, it's only genetic engineering that would allow us to, uh, to uh, engineer plants that would uh, fight their own pests, like Bt does, uh, Bt corn, cotton, soybeans, that bacillus thuringiensis, that Bt protein that's in that corn crop is an organic insecticide. Those cry proteins are organic and are used by organic farmers to keep Lapidoptera off of the crops. So if you can spray Bt organic insecticide on your organic crops, and that's cool, why is it uh, you know, why is it the devil if we take one of those proteins, BT proteins, put it inside of organic or inside of uh, cotton, corn, soybean, and now that genetically engineered crop cannot be farmed organically? It didn't make any sense to me, still doesn't. And furthermore, if you want to get even deeper into this, you say, well, genetic engineering is natural. Well, explain to me how gamma radiation or submersion of seeds to carcinogenic chemicals to induce mutation, explain to me how radiation and chemo mutation is natural. Well, it doesn't sound very natural, and yet there are literally hundreds, around 1,500 crops that have been mutated in one way or another under the science called mutagenesis, and paradoxically, those uh, nuclear chemical mutated crops can be labeled organic and yet you flick four genes off in an apple to prevent it from going brown and the sky is falling so this is nothing more than posturing by the organic and i'm talking big organic industry this is nothing more than posturing by the big organic industry to create fear in the consumer saying somehow that genetically bred crops are bad and that organic crops are good, and therefore pay my 30 to 600% premium that justifies uh, the lower cost of production and the marketing spin that we put to create that fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the marketplace. That's what's going on today. And that's what upsets me so much as I watch young families struggle with their budgets, and mom is being torn emotionally uh, if she can't afford organic orange juice. You know, it's it's crazy. It is. And, and, you know, a lot of what I've noticed is is a lot of the consumers that um, uh, might be anti-GMO um, are, you know, they're they're smart people. And and I'm just kind of wondering in a lot of cases, I think what it is, is, hey, I don't really have the time to do the due diligence to look into it, but I do have the money to pay the extra. So I'm just going to do that. It's easier. Uh, do you think that's what it is at scale? Or, you know, what what are what are the main problems why smart people um, still think that GMOs might be bad for them? I would use the word ignorance. Uh, so it's smart people who are ignorant of the way we actually grow food. Um you know, any you punch in GMO into the uh, uh, into the uh, Google search engine, the images that come up are one all of uh, fruits and vegetables with syringes in them. If you think that's how we engineer crops, give your head a shake. That's not. Um, and then um, I, I get a laugh from that because paradoxically, if, if you, you think about syringes and you think about people who are diabetic, if you know anybody who's injecting insulin, Humalog or Novolin, those are all genetically engineered insulins. People are being kept alive every day 
because of GMO technology, hemophiliacs are. Uh, those are uh, all the cheese we eat. 90% of the cheese in North America, the hard cheese, is coagulated with a GMO enzyme called chismosin to coagulate the cheese. We do that instead of scraping the linings of calves' stomachs. So people say, I just don't believe all that. Well, go and have a look. Dig deeper than page two on Google and start to read some scientific papers. This is the problem. The, uh, the information has been largely hijacked by by people wanting to spin and propagate fear. And it's so easy to capitulate fear. And if you have money, you say, well, I'll just go on the safe side. I'll just buy organic. Well, why are you buying organic? Well, because it's natural. I just shared with you that there's really no food that's natural. All of our foods have been genetically modified in one way or another, whether it's hybridization, open pollinization, polypoloidness, uh, mutagenesis, all the foods that you eat have been um, modified in one form or another. So that argument is out the window. And you say, well, I'm going to buy organic because it doesn't use pesticides. Well, of course it uses pesticides. It just happens to use organic pesticides. Now, before everybody gets angry at me, I will say categorically that there's a lot we can learn from organic farming. Um, Integrated pest management strategies, crop rotation, uh, cover crops, intercropping, uh, soil health. There's a lot of things we can learn from organic farming if we were able to bring the two sides together, uh, conventional, uh, genetically engineered, uh, and organic farming, and bring them together as opposed to polarizing this argument, I think we would move all of agriculture in a more sustainable manner. So uh, again, getting back to the consumer, I think it's really easy to be frightened. I mean, when you pick up a bottle and it says organic water on it, really? Or you pick up a bottle of Himalayan rock salt. It's salt from the Himalayan uh, Himalayan mountains, and it says non-GMO on it. Really? Do you really understand that? Do you understand that there is no genetically engineered uh, avocado oil? So that butterfly on that uh, that butterfly BS sticker on that avocado oil is lying to you. Do you realize that there's no genetically modified spinach? no genetically modified cucumbers, no genetically modified lettuce, and, and all of those stickers that are screaming at you are essentially lying to you. Uh, and, and people, again, don't have time to dig into it and realize that uh, a lot of this is driven to uh, punch up um, margins um, for large companies. And before you say, you know, oh, Monsanto's a large company, well, they are, they're $15 billion and they uh, produce some excellent science to help farmers move forward and quite quiet, actually, on the whole genetic engineered front, while Whole Foods is over $15 billion and just speaks out loudly against genetic engineering. So we have to understand that there's motivation behind the marketing. Absolutely. And for, and for some reason, it seems like at least, um, you know, people I interact with down here in Austin, it, it seems like there has been this this understanding that when it comes to health, that labels are misleading. Like when you see something that says, hey, 99% less fat, it doesn't mean it's healthy. But for some reason, that same logic doesn't always get applied to something like, you know, um, non-GMO or, or maybe something like that. And so uh, it maybe there's hope based on what we're seeing in some of the health, you know, the health claims. People are starting to wake up that, hey, just because it says healthy doesn't mean it is. Um, maybe they'll apply some of that logic to to this issue as well. 
I'll give you one more example before we before we move the, the needle here in the discussion. But one of the things really upsets me, if you go to your grocery store and there's a, a bottle of Simply Orange, and that's the brand, Simply Orange, mm-hmm. that has a non-GMO sticker uh, on the lid, uh, non-GMO Simply Orange. And then you tip the bottle over to the backside and read, and in the backside it says there are no genetically modified oranges. It's it's just it it just it just buys into the ignorance. It it plays into the ignorance of the consumer, and the consumer goes, "Oh my God, GMOs must be bad. This one's non-GMO. Therefore, I'm going to buy this because it's non-GMO." And there are no genetically modified oranges. And God help us, we should want genetically. We 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 should hope that we could get genetically modified oranges because right now the whole Florida citrus industry is on its knees right now due to citrus greening. And if we don't find a cure for that, that uh, that uh, multi-billion-dollar industry in Florida is facing extinction unless they can find a way to fight citrus screening. And genetically engineered is one of the only hopes we have. And someday, let's hope that we have a label that says these oranges are genetically engineered and saved the citrus industry, right? Yeah, I want to hone in on that, Rob, because this series we're heading into on this podcast is sustainability at scale, and I want to define sustainability as broadly as possible. A lot of times when people think of sustainability, they think of use of resources, which is an accurate part of sustainability, you know, water, land, uh, air quality, things like that. But we have entire industries like the one you just mentioned that in some in some ways and in some areas, the industry is in decline due to pest and disease threat. Uh, could you talk about some of those and how GMOs might actually contribute to long-term sustainability? Okay, so I've given you uh, uh, an example in the in the citrus industry. Uh, let me just frame this by saying you're, you're right. At the at, in, in your opening statement here, you said that sustainability. When I think about sustainability. I'm thinking primarily of three metrics. One is soil health, and that could encompass things like organic matter and soil structure, water holding capacity, um, microbial activity, uh, nutrient density of the soil. So soil health, number two is water. Uh, Agriculture uses about 70% of the fresh water on the planet, so our ability to increase water use efficiency is paramount. And thirdly would be greenhouse gas balance. In other words, what are we doing with our greenhouse gases going in, going out of the agricultural system? And if we could measure those three indices, we'd have a really good handle on on sustainability. So if we're thinking about sustainability in the long term and trying to double our production of food uh, to feed a population of 2050, we need to think about how do we uh, create more crops uh, on a shrinking land base um, by using our resources better. And, and I mean fertilizer and chemical and water and all those things. And on top of that, Mother Nature is a, a, a vigorous opponent. Uh, she's a vigorous competitor uh, to many uh, farming things. And again, I know I've upset a whole bunch of people when I said that, but the reality is when you're farming and, uh, and a rust starts taking down your wheat crop, you've got to find a way to, to take out the rust. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're farming and... Uh, and uh, uh, corn uh, borer comes in, or boll weevil in your cotton, or uh, flea beetles in your canola, you've got to find a way to hold that crop against that invading insect. And as we stare into the future, uh, there are more and more diseases on the rise, and there are more and more diseases building up resistance. And uh, even even to uh, herbicides, such as Roundup, the overuse of it leads to resistance, so we have to find additional tools to make it work. Uh, these things are all complicated, and it's a complicated 
agricultural system in, in, in which we work. So if you're, again, staring out into the future and you're thinking about soil, water, and greenhouse gas balance, and you're thinking about how do we uh, increase nitrogen use efficiency? Because without nitrogen fertilizer, say goodbye to half the people on the planet. So how can we uh, stop nitrogen from entering into our environment? How can we increase nitrogen use efficiency? Well, a lot of that's predicated upon science. So right product, right place, right source, right timing. The 4R strategies is being used by farmers is one thing. But what if we could take and increase the nitrogen use efficiency of a crop through genetic engineering? Some people right now are trying to play with wheat to see if we can't take some um, uh, genetic engineering science and help wheat to fix some of its own nitrogen. Um, that would be interesting. What if we could take genetic engineering and help crops increase their um, acquisition uh, of, of uh, phosphate from the soil so we didn't have to put on as much phosphorus? We could mine the soil more effectively. What if we could take and engineer crops that would be more nutrient dense, for example, golden rice that has been fortified with beta carotene that produces vitamin A for human beings. What if we could do that with genetic engineering? We, we, we stretch our resources, we do more, we make ourselves more sustainable, and we provide more nutrient density in crops. And I'll give you some real life examples that are going on right now in Uganda that are not available to the Ugandan farmer. Uh, brown streak mosaic uh, virus attacks cassava. Cassava is tapioca. It's a root crop. Uh, it, it's a staple crop. And brown streak mosaic renders that crop useless for human consumption. Sigatoga and bacterial wilt in bananas is decimating the banana crop right now in Uganda. Uh, there's no cure for it. Uh, in Kenya, lethal necrosis in maize turns a bunch of the corn into aflatoxin and mycotoxin two of the most toxic organic elements on the planet and the leading cause of liver cancer on the planet. All of those problems I shared with you have genetic engineered solutions that are sitting behind research gates right now that can't make their way into the hands of the farmer. How does that policy make us more sustainable? It does not. And so it's only until we understand and embrace the fact that Science is being utilized in your cell phone, it's being utilized in your vehicle, science is being used in medicine, science is being used in transportation, science is being used everywhere in our world, and for some reason, agriculture is not allowed to use science. That does not make any sense to me. Well, of course we should embrace science. It's how agriculture has gone from you know, 50% of the population working in farming to less than 2%, and really it's a quarter of North American farmers produce 80% of the food for North Americans. Um, that's all been based on the success of science and agriculture. And I hope we don't lose science to non-science or nonsense. If I'm remembering this statistic right from, from your TED Talk, I, th I think it said in 2013, 3.1 million children died of malnutrition. Is that right? Right. And so right. That was The Economist magazine. So The Economist mag magazine did a dive into misplaced priorities. And in 2013, 3.1 million children under the age of five, Tim, 3.1 million children under the age of five died of malnutrition. Uh, the number of children who died of GMO is zero. 
zero ever. Um, there has not been one documented uh, case of any human being uh, dying or being made uh, sick because of genetic engineering. And if somebody can uh, bring that forward in a peer-reviewed study rather than published journals, that would be amazing, but it's not. And we have very, very good, again, I'm going to just make a bunch of people upset here, but we've got a, a tremendous track record around the success of genetic engineering, not only in agriculture, but in human health. And it's being utilized all over in medicine. Um, one, of the big, uh, one of the big advancements in that Ebola fight was genetically engineered vaccinations. So everywhere we look, whether it's uh, transgen transgenics or cisgenics, or, or whether it's gene editing, gene silencing, or now CRISPR-9-Cas technology, and there's advancements happening in there daily, this world of genetic engineering is going to make our, our, our planet more sustainable, uh, the food supply safer, more reliable, and could bring down the cost of food for all humans on the planet. Again, if we accept science instead of ridiculing and fear-mongering it. What do you think that's going to take? And I, I, obviously, this is a big question that is, is very complicated to answer. But in cases like this, especially w with the stories you're telling about Uganda, where you've got solutions to problems right now that are just unavailable because of misunderstanding uh, around, surrounding the technology, what does it take? Uh, because you've already talked about there are children dying, literally, due to malnutrition uh, that could theoretically be um, – mitigated through this technology, you know, what's it take to make progress in this area? Well, by and large, most North Americans are, are fat and happy. And so most of us don't really care about the rest of the world. We may say we do, but we really don't. Most of us haven't traveled to those parts of the world. Most of us just don't know. Um, golden rice, which I alluded to earlier, uh, which is uh, fortified with beta carotene and produces vitamin A in the body, um, has been around since 2002. Only now, is it getting registration 2018 in the in the in the meantime literally millions of people have gone blind and died of vitamin a deficiency around the planet um activist organizations such as greenpeace will uh campaign actively against the release of golden rice and uh and uh, they will spin fear uh when i think what they're doing is amoral i mean uh they will say, well, people should just eat a different diet. Well, those people are poor people, and rice is their diet. And by, by doing what they've done, they've really condemned millions of people to death. Now, GM can't save everybody, but genetically engineered crops are a tremendous solution. And I've just given you some, some concrete examples of, of where we need to go. And again, most of the people listening to this podcast won't really care about people in Uganda or Nigeria or Kenya. They, you know, just don't. They don't know the crops. They don't know the problems that those people people face. So, so we're quite ignorant of of the dilemma uh, that policy has created around the world. However, uh, what I, what we need to get to, Tim, in the whole genetic engineering discussion is we need to get to GMO 2.0 beyond Monsanto. We need to get to a uh, genetic uh, engineered solution that is of benefit to humans uh, and, and they can see their way through the logic and it would help them to pause and rethink their position. And I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, so right now, um, the tomatoes that you buy in the store, um, the growers fight something called blight in tomatoes. 
they will spray tomatoes, either organic or conventional tomatoes. They will spray tomatoes up to 44 times with fungicide. Okay, so you got 44 times with fungicide to get those tomatoes that are unblemished to your supermarket shelves. Um, University of Florida researchers have taken one gene, one gene from sweet peppers, put it inside the tomato, and and essentially wiped out blight in tomatoes. So you have a choice: 44 up to 44 sprays, or one gene from sweet peppers inside tomatoes to fight blight. Well, I'll tell you which one I would take. I would take the 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 one with the gene in it. And, and that would allow actually tomato production to go up. But that technology sits inside of the University of Florida because there's not a tomato grower today in the United States that will be willing to bring that GMO tomato to the marketplace. So there's an example of a benefit to consumers. Another one would be the Arctic apple. Arctic apple, four genes that are inside the apple that have been switched off to pre prevent the polyphenolic oxidase enzyme from turning the apples brown. In other words, you cut the apple up in the morning, little Johnny takes it to school, he opens up his lunch bucket at noon if they still have those, and the apple hasn't gone brown. There's, a, there's another example. Innate Potato from the J.R. Simplot company has been um, engineered uh, with uh, 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 fighting uh, with uh, disease-fighting genes from uh, Peruvian or, or South American potatoes, allowing farmers to significantly reduce fungicide applications uh, to produce potatoes. Again, that is not being brought forward because of the fear, the backlash that McDonald's restaurants would face if they tried to bring uh, GMO and eight potato to the marketplace when it would be a benefit to all of those consumers who are, are eating it. And I could go on. I mean, there's going to be diseases such as citrus greening that we're fighting, um, all sorts of challenges uh, faced by growers as we push towards maintaining a sustainable food supply for a burgeoning population, um, we're going to need the tools. And so sooner or later, I'm hoping that the North American consumer will, will re realize that most of what he and she are reading about GMOs uh, on social media are an absolute uh, distortion. Many of them are 180 degrees from the truth, and many of them are outright fabricated lies. Um, and it's all been designed to create fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the food supply. That's why we are doing what we do uh, and trying to educate people. No, I, I think that's really insightful, Rob. I appreciate that. You, th you think about somebody who uh, fights against GMO technology, doesn't want it, but then buys an apple, it goes brown, and then they throw it away, and then they complain about how bad the food waste problem is. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's just this it's vicious perfect. cycle. And so I, I think, yeah, you, you brought up some fantastic points here about uh, what ge uh, what genetic engineering uh, technology could do for us to make us more sustainable long term. I really appreciate it. You've got a lot of projects going on between, you know, AgriTrend and uh, the Learn GMO webisode series you've got going on, the No Ideas Media. If you could have just one place you'd point people to listening to the show and want to follow up with some of the information, uh, where would that be? Yeah, I would go to, uh, I'd point them to no Ideas Media on Facebook or, or YouTube. No Ideas Media. That's K-N-O-W. So uh, that's no K-N-O-W uh, Ideas uh, with an S Media. No Ideas Media on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, and we've also got a no K-N-O-W, no G-M-O dot C-A website, which is excellent. So no G-M-O, K-N-O-W, uh, no GMO .ca website that we've been working on. And you're going to find uh, at the YouTube site there, if you punch in no ideas, media, 
on YouTube and you punch the button that says videos, you're going to find a plethora of videos there that will deal with everything from explaining how genetic engineering and Lego, uh, what they have in common, all the way through to the recent issues on the dicamba issue. Um, now, we just we just cover off the and the latest one is the halo story uh, that basically uh, University of Maryland just published that shows that it's uh, genetically engineered farmers using BT porn that are allowing organic farmers to flourish in that halo area because the BT farmers are the ones that are controlling the Lapidoptera um, insects. So the organic farmers don't have to spray uh, the insects out as much. Uh, the, these things uh, people need to understand and think about. And that's what we're trying to do a good job of at uh, No Ideas Media on YouTube, Facebook. Great. Yeah, we'll link to all of that and, and also your TED Talk in, in the show notes. So make sure mm-hmm. you go check those out. Rob, thank you so much for the time today. This has been really, really insightful. Well, I, I hope it's a good uh, good part of your sustainability series. I really appreciate you uh, digging deep into issues. I find that uh, an issue like blockchain or an issue like sustainability, like sustainability means so many different things to depending on the conversation. And I think we need to rip the lid off and really go deep into all of the facets of sustainability because there's lots of them. And genetic engineering is one of those things. And I think you've done a good job here today. So thank you. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Rob Syke. Everything from stopping a rock concert to have a debate about genetic engineering to considering a future where organic and genetic engineering might work together. What are your thoughts on that? Is that is that even possible? Are we just way off the mark here? I would love to hear from you. A great place to do that is on Twitter. I'm at Tim Hamrich or via email, tim at aggrad.com. Really appreciate uh, getting to hear from you. I've heard from some of you on LinkedIn or, or via email lately. And I, uh, it's it's part of the joy of doing this show is, is getting to meet uh, you all who are listening. So thank you for reaching out for those who have If you're still using iTunes, bless you for doing that. And please leave us a rating and review. Uh, would Would love to spread the word about the stories we're sharing here, especially as we roll into this series, Sustainability at Scale. I am extremely excited about it. I think it's going to be uh, a high point for the podcast so far, and I hope you will join the journey with me. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com, that's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.